You need to forget about all the normal rules that apply to both college and society. And Nick. And Nick. Hello. Welcome to Pop You with Josh and Drew. I am one of your co-hosts, Andrew. Josh is on vacation this week, but he will be back next week. We have in his promise to return to Pop You next week. So we'll have him next week. But filling in for him again is Nick. To finish up a conversation that we had last week, started, we were going to have a conversation around Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. We ran a little bit long, and we decided to hold it over to today. So today we're going to talk about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And before we get started, I want to wish a very special pop you happy birthday to Uncle Matt, whose birthday is on July 20th. So happy birthday, Uncle Matt. Put that coffee down. Let's talk about something important. Because we're adding a little something to this month's sales contest. As you all know, first prize is a Cadillac Eldorado. You want to see second prize? Second prize is set of steak knives. Third prize is you fired. Stand up and what can you do? I gotta tell you, I'm ready to do the Dutch. I know what I'll do. I'll go out and rob everybody blind and go to Argentina. You think you're a thief? We're just talking. We are? Yeah, we're just speaking about it. Speaking about it's an idea. We're not actually talking about it. No. It's a robbery. It's a robbery? No. So be it. What happened? What happened? Uh, we had a slight burglary. Criminals come and they take, they steal the phones. They stole the phones, they stole the... Oh. You robbed the office. Oh, sure, I robbed the author. Oh, sure. You did that? You get out of here. But if we go back to 91, I mean, it came out in 92, but if we go back to 91 when they're putting it together, the only other actors around that time that I can think of that um, were, you know, that were um, really hot and that could probably be in this would be Kevin Costner, Harrison Ford. No, no. And... No. I mean, I, I could not see either one of those two. You, you couldn't see Ford playing... Um, no. Could you see Costner playing... No, and, I, and let me be clear. I love both of those guys. Yeah. They are a step below everybody in this movie in terms of acting. Yeah. What about Hanks? Uh, that's an interesting one. Now, of course... What Could Hanks play Kevin Spacey's part? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. That's the first one that thought that it came to mind. Um, he could have played anybody. I mean, that, that guy, knowing now, we didn't know then what we Hanks knew. wasn't Hanks in 92. No, something... Because yeah, this was pre... That's a whole... Again, that's a whole other episode. Yeah. But, I mean, it's... What we know now of him is that... Yes, he could have done it. He's way more of a chameleon, right? I think, than, than I ever would have predicted. Right, I agree. And I think, like... This was pre This was even before. This is right on the time of League of Their Own. So this is before he went on his Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo thirteen, an amazing run for about 10, 15 years. That it's just, it's just, it's it's amazing what he did in ten years. But this is before that. So yeah. So this we we didn't think of Tom Hanks as Tom Hanks yet. Um, all right. So I'm gonna throw a couple more at you. What about Michael Keaton? 
I, I could actually see him as uh, Ricky Roma. I could too. I could see him. I could see him in Ed Harris's role. I could too. I think he might work. He might work in that. Uh, the only other two alternatives that I thought of last night that could have maybe you, you feel free to shoot these down. But what about Cruz or Cusack? Could they have been in any? In, in uh, oh, um, could they have been? In, could they have played Kevin Spacey's role? I think Kevin Spacey's role feels like the most. I could see more people playing. I think I couldn't. I can't yeah. really picture anybody else's. Like I wouldn't put Jack Nicholson in Shelley Levine's role, or Jack Lemmon's role. You know. Obviously, either either of those guys probably could have stepped in, but Cruz was really Cruz yeah. at this point, and oh, I agree. Yeah, now he could have played Roma. I think he's too young. You think? Yeah. Yeah, but although I, I don't know if age. I think in I that. Know if age I don't know. Cruz would have been thirty, around thirty at that time. I think that Roma needed to be played by somebody who was, you know, more seasoned. Yeah, early forties. Yeah. I would say no on Cusack. I'm with you. I don't know. I, I just wanted to throw it out there. Um, who get? I, I like for some reason I like Cruz, but I think he would bring that kind of energy that that was needed. I think yeah, I think he would have done well. Um, and Cusack is just so his energy level is just a little low. I think I, I think he could have probably played Williamson, but Spacey was brilliant in that. I mean, it, it's an underrated performance. It really, it really is. is. It's good and. Thing about Cusack, I love John Cusack, but you do sometimes get the feeling that he mails in a role. I get that feeling sometimes from him, mm -hmm. that he's just not quite into it. Could Bruce Willis, could you have seen Bruce Willis as, Aaron, as uh, Moss? Absolutely. I think that would that's be a, a good one. That's a good one. I could totally see him playing Ed Harris's role. Maybe would have done it better. I, I, that's kind of where I'm going with that. Yeah. I think if I had to sort of pick the weak link in that crew, I think it's Ed Harris. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's... He overacted a little bit. In the um, sales meeting scene with uh, Baldwin? or what's Well, it? I'm thinking of the car. In the car, right yeah. Like, would you be that angry? I mean, like, if you hated your job that much... You just quit, right? You just, yeah, I mean... It was like... I know. The, the amount of anger in that, in, in that yeah. car scene... It felt it's a like, little bit over the top. The interesting thing is it was written as a play. And so really the two two of two of the main characters obviously were had that that stage performance type of of uh delivery. Um you know, Pacino and and uh and Art and Ed Harris, but who's the who's the most alpha of the alpha males in this movie, like who gives the best performance? I mean, to me, it's it's Ricky, it's it's Al Pacino. Um, there are so many subtle things that he does in that movie. I don't know if it's intentional or if it just if I gravitate towards it more just personally, but there's little things that he does with the the brochure and his drink in his hand. Uh, talking to Price and yeah, you were talking about that um, last night. I, I was cracking up thinking about that. You know, and, and uh, kind of you know where he cozies up to Price and yeah. Um, and then and then I love when he's talking to Shelley Levine and kind of <laughs> pumping him up. Yeah, uh, it's like he you know he, like, he does a great job of caring but not really caring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's kind of smacking on his gum a little bit. You know, and he's like. He's kind of like, yeah, tell, tell me, 
tell me what happened. Yeah, tell me about the Norbert. Yeah, you right, know? right. Kinda like, he doesn't really want to know, but he's just like, yeah. No. But, or maybe he like, does. Maybe he does want to know. Um, the nonverbal ticks that he does. Well, actually, I dis- I, I'm going to disagree with you on who I think does okay. the best job. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I know where you're going with yeah, this, yeah. too. It's probably Baldwin. It's Baldwin. I think Baldwin comes off the bench late in the second quarter, goes eight for nine from the field, scores 22 points, 11 minutes, five steals, eight rebounds, six from six of eight behind the three-point line. I think he just crushes it. 12 carries for 120 yards, two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Six six <laughs> catches for 192 yards. No, I'm kidding. So 12 carries for 122 yards, and then one end around for a touchdown for 92 yards. Yeah, and then plays defense the next series and gets like, and it recovers a fumble, takes, yeah. <laughs> takes yeah. it to the end zone. By the way, do, do you remember his name in the Do you remember his character's name? Yeah, I think it was Blake. Put that coffee down. Let's talk about something important. Are they all here? All but one. Well, I'm going anyway. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. I'm here from downtown. I'm here from Mitch and Murray. And I'm here on a mission of mercy. Your name's Levine. You call yourself a salesman, you son of a- Coffee's for closers. And Jack Levin's kind of like, <laughs> what? It's amazing how much he, like, he actually does put the coffee down. <laughs> and Ed Harris, Ed, Ed Harris is probably my second favorite in that scene because he's trying to act alpha, but uh-huh. just can't, can't do it kind of like rolling his eyes like he knows that he's right and, and moss is just you know well, twisting I, in the wind and i think we answered our question of who's the most alpha male in the movie because guess who's not in that scene guess who didn't come to the meeting ricky roma there you go because Which i totally think that was part of the the whole like he's the ultimate you know bad bad yeah yeah dude i mean not roma bad, would not bad, but like cool like He's just, he's got it all together. You know, he doesn't have to show up to sales meetings. No, exactly. I mean... And well, and heck, doesn't Baldwin even say something like... Doesn't he kind of excuse him from it? Like, where's Roba? And then and then Baldwin's like... I forget yeah, what the quote like, is. I mean, he, he doesn't care. I mean, he's okay with it. Yeah. Um, and if, and if honestly, if Roma, if, if Pacino, if Roma is in that meeting, that scene doesn't work, I don't think. No, it doesn't. No. Um, yeah. Because Roman wouldn't have put up with that crap. He would have. He would have. You know, I don't think Baldwin goes sort of balls to the wall as much as he does. And I, I think if he tries that sort of tactic, General Patton kind of tactic, I think R- Roma just walks right out. So yeah, the, the scene doesn't work with with Roma in there. Um, how much was a Cadillac Eldorado in 1992, brand new? Hmm. Check it, guys. Uh, is, do you know the answer to this? I know the answer. I'm gonna say seventeen five. Uh, you're quite a bit off. Thirty one thousand. <laughs> <laughs> that's in that's in nineteen ninety two dollars. So that's not adjusted for inflation. So I guess maybe you're talking maybe fifty thousand. I don't even remember what was like the Eldorado. That do they even? They don't even make that. I, I I don't think so. No, that was a car that was pretty popular in the eighties and nineties. Oh yeah, but no, I don't know. If that, I don't know that that's still in circulation. Now I'm sure you can go buy a used '92 Cadillac Eldorado. So on the board, on the chalkboard, Roma is like 
he's he's like 97,000 97.5 I think is what he's got on the board and I'm assuming that's sales right or I don't know I don't know they don't really explain that if it's commission maybe it is commission it's got to be commissions because it's got to be commission it's got to be commissions I'm guessing that a lot was around well yeah because he talks about he sold a lot to Jonathan Price how how realistic is this movie when it comes to selling would you really buy a plot of land sight unseen in the swamps of florida or i have an answer for you okay i had always heard about florida you know florida swamp land being sold to basically people that were not otherwise understanding of what that meant and and so there was actually a company called uh Gulf American Land Corporation that was um, doing this exact thing. David Mamet wrote this screenplay, I think, in the early 80s or maybe even late 70s. And I, there's no doubt in my mind that a part of this was based on this story. Um, but in the late 60s, yeah, so in the late 60s, Galk. Gulf American Land Corporation um, sold 173,000 square miles of swampland dubbed Golden Gate Estates to about 40,000 buyers. Um, many many buyers bought plat, plots that were still underwater. Um, a lot of these were bought sight unseen. Uh, there was no, you know, and, and here's the thing. Uh, they, you know, they marketed it towards people that lived up north. And I think a big part of that was that, you know, if you live up north and you're thinking, wow, I can own some Florida land, you know, go down south for the summer or for the winter. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that there's no doubt that they were they their target audience was was sort of the uh, the, the northerner. Yeah. And because um, this was t so, this takes place in Chicago. Uh, the the what, stage the play, the state, no, no, the movie takes place in New York, but the original right. stage production takes place. So you're absolutely right. It's like, yeah, they're, these are Midwest. Yes. They're, they're talking Midwest suburban families. Right. And, and so now what they, now they did have a, uh, they did have a plane. I think they owned like a very small fleet of jets and they would fly people to, uh, to, to, to see some of the land. But I mean, uh, this was uh, no doubt a um, you know kind of a, what do you call it like beachfront property in Arizona type thing yeah. where you're just you know uh, there's the, the 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 land is cheap for a reason. Is it a con? Is it a con? Oh, it's absolutely a con. Okay. You know, I'll, um, so they are buying out. actual land. They are buying actual land. They're buying they're, land, but they're so, buying garbage. But it's kind of like it's kind of like if someone, you know, I guess my equivalency would be, hey, would you like to buy a ranch in West Texas? Right. Uh, okay. So you you know, West Texas. There's a ton of land out in West Texas that's just, it's just, brush land. There's nothing. You yeah. can't grow anything on it. Um, you can't do anything with it. You Miles know, from civilization. Near, yeah. It's not near anything. There's no utilities. You know, yeah. so yeah, if you want to buy 
50 acres for a hundred grand, I'm sure you could do that, but, but you're not, you're, what are you going to do? Just pitch a tent and live out there. I mean, it's, yeah. there's nothing there. You so can't develop it. You can't, can't develop it. You, there's nothing you can do with it. Um, unless there's <laughs> maybe sink a well, but, um, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but it, it's fascinating to read kind of the whole development of, of how this started and, and ultimately where it ended. The, the the reality is this company actually did invest money to try to like build up levees and this and that but the fact is is i mean you you know you're buying swamp you're yeah. buying a swamp and and the only unless you plan to open up a the walt disney world resort nothing else is, is going to make it there and um the uh the picture, the brochure, almost kind of like, kind of gives you that feeling like, you know. Maybe, it does maybe show this... water. It shows like a pond or a lake. or something. Yeah, which is probably, you know, I mean, it's probably a legitimate picture of a swamp. <laughs> yeah, it could be. They, they might have picked like the very edge where it's actually dry. Right. It's just, it's like that whole thing. Oh. I'm a landowner. Well, what do you own? Well, I own I own know, property in Florida. You know, we're going to develop yeah. it and uh, build a right. build a. I own house. a half acre of mangrove. You know. Yeah, like during the winter time, we're going to be snowbirds and go there <laughs> right. from uh, from November to March. You know, when it's snowing every day up here. I mean, that's yeah, and then that's why I guess Rio Rancho is out in Arizona. Um, so but yeah, to, so, to, so if you think about it, think about all the Rio Rancho. Florida, the, the, that makes sense, you know, that you would yeah. have, you know, this, because Arizona is, that's probably a better example than my West Texas example. There's, there's a lot of land in Arizona that's just, it's just desert, you know, it's just sandy base and, and there's nothing you can do with it. And so, and, and you have to keep in mind, this is pre-internet. So there's no way to sort of do a Google earth or a Google maps kind of thing to figure out exactly where it is. You're, you're sort of beholden to what the salesman says. And yeah, I'm sure if, the, if you said, you know, look, I really need to see the property. I'm sure that I'm sure Roma would have said, well, hey, be my guest, go check it out. You know, I'm not flying you down there. If you, um, to which then I would say, well, then I'm not interested. But, you know, I guess the, the sort of thing that you have to overlook is that they have to be preying on weaker well, they make it very explicit. I mean, he, he's preying on Jonathan Price. That's where they have to make their sales. They have to sell to uh, suckers, basically. Let me read this to you. So from May 1969, GAC Properties began organizing day trips for prospective customers to view its Rio Rico property development near, um, basically in Tucson. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. And and the guy, one of the guys that started this whole thing, uh, was kind of like, um, he got his start in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Well, that and that's where the movie takes place, or that's where the stage play takes place. Right. Um, so, so I, I think without he's without, definitely basing it on on something somewhat truthful yeah, or somewhat that's real. right yeah that, that, and that's what's fascinating about it is that it's it's grounded in a, re, a real event yeah and uh there's all kind of there's there's tons of tentacles to this story that i mean we just we can't get into but yeah um 
But if if you're interested, just go to the go to the Gulf American Land Corporation Wikipedia, and you'll get you'll you'll find all kinds of you'll get the whole backstory, uh, huh? Backstory and and really just little rabbit trails to go down. But it's interesting how David Mamet does this. So it's a two act play, and it feels very much two act in the film. You have your first act, which is at night, and then you have your second act, which is the next day. Um, and so in the first act, you have three different stories going on. Well, four, I guess. You have the Roma Price sale. You have the Ed Harris, or you have the Aranau and Moss conspiracy to steal the leads. You have the struggles that Shelley Levine is having. And then you have the sales meeting, I guess. Those are your four, or the, I guess sort of like the events leading up to the sales meeting and then after. So those are your four, am I missing anything? Are those are your four main stories. When Roma is pitching this land deal, so he basically meets this stranger at the bar. They start having a very intimate conversation about life and Price is just sort of, I mean, we've all been in that situation where you you know you're getting sold and it's, yep. and it's hard to get out of those situations. You eventually- oh, man. You can almost feel it coming. Well, yeah, and you kind of learn their different selling styles. I mean, they all have their own angle and how they sell. I mean, I think, I think that's what makes a good salesman is that you have to have a, you have to have a pitch that works for you. Like Ricky Roma's, you you learn that this is how he sells. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's it, it's very effective. And then you kind of you learn later how Shelley sells, and it's totally different, mm -hmm. but probably effective in its own way. Or it actually it feels like it's. He's of a different era, the way he's, he tries to do it. It feels very old-fashioned. The thing that puzzles me about the price, the, the Roma sale in the Chinese restaurant, is that evidently they go back to Price's house and his wife makes them dinner and they do the sale over dinner. I didn't catch that until I watched it this last time. It's amazing that that somehow snuck through my purview the first million times that I watched it, but I never realized that they didn't close the sale at the restaurant. They closed the sale at their house. It makes you wonder why she goes along with it. Yeah, that's a good point. Do they offer any explanation why she does? Uh, no, they really don't. I mean, but that's a good point. Yeah, it doesn't seem to fit. It doesn't fit, but um, the next day though, so now we're getting to act two, the part that always fascinates me is that Price comes back to Roma and he's like, hey, you know, my wife called the Better Business Bureau this morning and we have a three-day right of refusal. And this is when you find out how sleazy they really are. Roma tries mm -hmm. to basically talk him in circles. Like, um, <laughs> you know, he's like, what, 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 what is it you don't understand? Like, no, tell me. You're I, a I, vice I, president from American <laughs> Express. I'm taking you to the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that part, and then when, when Price tries to tell me, he's like, I need you to cancel. Can cancel what? Cancel. I need you to the deal. What, what deal? Like, he, he acts like he has no right. idea what, anyway, so, and then. <laughs> and hey, and, I, and I, I'm telling you, that happens. Oh, I that know. Is not, that is not far from from reality. You're kind of taught to, to kind of, uh, to stretch the truth or, or to kind of invent your own truth is a better way to put it. Yeah. To make a deal. Yeah. You know, it, hey, and you're right on the border if you of what's legal. Want to be legal. vice president? Be vice president. No one, I'm. The, I, yeah. We don't care. Call yourself whatever you want. Yeah, whatever will get it. Yep, you're right. 
Price is counting off the days. He's like, well, today's Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And he's like, yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> he's like, what? So what, what don't you? He's like, so <laughs> it's just like, I, you, you, you saw my book. You saw my I, I can't, I can't do it. It's like, that's when it gets really dirty. Where Oh, I love that part too. And it's, it's, Rob is like, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, right. <laughs> Well, and that's hard. That's hard. I, I, again, I mean, I, as a consumer, I've been in that situation oh, yeah. where you get lo- lumped into or kind of roped into something, and then, and then all of a sudden you feel bad for saying no, mm-hmm. and then you, you know you go home with a five hundred dollar guitar. Right. You know? <laughs> Would the police really care this much about stolen telephones and a stack of note cards to, to, <laughs> to stay in their to stay in these guys' offices all day? But wasn't it only like a couple thousand bucks? The leads were between ten and fifteen dollars a piece. And okay, there were and, and, five. Were there five hundred leads? Man, okay, so no, we're talking about hundred. There were like a hundred leads. Yeah, so we're talking a couple thousand bucks. A couple thousand bucks. And those phones, those landlines, could have been more than twenty. That's bucks not a even. Piece. Yeah, and well, those are not. That's not a like. You have ten phones any, at t- at twenty bucks a piece. It's a couple hundred bucks. Okay. Right. It's not like it had like a. Yeah. Uh, like he didn't steal a, the safe. Uh, <laughs> no. no. It's not like he st- went in there and you know robbed the safe. I mean, he uh, he robbed note cards and cheap phones. They're going to prosecute. So they prosecute him. And I mean, does he just get off with a fine? I mean, does he actually go to jail? I, I would think. I mean, I don't know the the. I don't Is really it a felony? recall. I mean, it's not going to be a. Um, He's probably, it's like a, maybe a misdemeanor, I don't know, but I mean, unless, yeah, Okay, so unless, unless, I just thought of this, unless you have a really good lawyer, really good prosecutor, who is able to basically convince the jury that those $1,500 in leads would have added up to several million dollars in property. Now that, if you can make... But see, I think... We'll that, that's arbitrary though, I mean, like, that's unprovable. I would think. Exactly. The pr- only thing that's provable is that what did you actually receive for the cards? Right. Exactly. So if he sold them for three thousand bucks, uh-huh. let me ask you this: What was Levine doing with the phones? What was his? <laughs> that I think was just to make it look like a sma- smash and grab. <laughs> so, which <laughs> so <laughs> a smash and grab? Like what? What criminal is going to break into a real estate <laughs> office to take a couple of those old school AT and T phones? Yeah. Mitch and Murray are they're the they're the owners of Premier Properties. Is that kind of what we were, we're we're led to believe? This office is just one of probably several offices they have in the Midwest, maybe. So um, one of the things that Josh and I like to do, we like to sort of run through. We have a Pop University Hall of Fame, and we have a Pop University Hall of Shame. So on a grade rating, A, B, C, D, F. And an A movie, so we the, some of the A movies we've had, you know, Spinal Tap, I think was A. I think Beverly Hills Cop was a B plus. Um, I'm trying to calibrate it for you. Superman 3 was a C minus, I think we came up with. So based on kind of, the scale can be whatever you want it to be, but what letter grade do you give? And you, and you yeah. can use plus and minuses. What, what letter grade do you give Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? Oh, I, I'd give it an A. Um, yeah. I give it an A. I mean, it's an A. I I give it an A minus. Um, but yeah, I think it clearly is Hall of Fame worthy. And I'll tell you one of the things that I think is aged the best in this movie is the runtime. It is a crisp hour and forty minutes. 
it doesn't feel like I feel like if this movie gets made now, it just it two it, hours and twenty. It's a two fifteen two twenty. You're right. I mean, I, there's something to that. I don't I don't know. I don't really have a good understanding of that, but there is you're you're on. I think you have to have more scenes with Alec Baldwin's character. You know, I think they create more for him to do. I think there's probably they flesh out some of the other characters more, and I think what it does is it ends up hurting it. And um, yeah, it's very well edited. Could you remake this movie as a musical? Um, and this is kind of a weird example because <laughs> this was already a stage play. I don't know if this right. would work as a musical. Oh, it totally would. You think so? <laughs> totally so like, well, you, you, yeah. So like, Alec Baldwin does like his 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 part is he does his part in song, right? Right. <laughs> where, where and Al Pacino and Price, that's in song. <laughs> yeah. What, what um, would be some other musical numbers, like just spots uh, in the movie? The, the car scene, the car scene. That's that's a song. <laughs> yeah. Um, Does Shelley have his kind the of whole pri- sad bastard walking in the rain sort of musical number? Yes, that one. And then the Price at the office. That's a song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, th- this would be a wonderful music. I think it could work. I think you're right. I think this works as a musical. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh man, uh, I, this is like, this fits into that. Yeah. Box. Perfectly. I think it helps. It's helped by the fact that it was a stage play originally, so there aren't many sets. Like, right. You know, there's, that, that's exactly. There's right. really only two yeah. sets. There's the restaurant, the Chinese restaurant, in in the um, in the office. In the office, and I guess if you want to throw the car, yeah. I mean, it's not a. It's no, not it, a well, set, it is. It's a set say, piece. It's a set piece, but yeah, I mean, it, it's primarily those two. Yeah, you you uh, have a you have, you can cut out the house where he goes to the spanel home. You you can oh, probably cut you true. can probably cut that out. That might be the one wasted scene uh, if I had to pick. But it does add, it, it, it gives you that, it really helps, um, it helps though beef up Levine's um, futility. Yes, it does. But you could probably do that another way. And, and not, or not futility, that's probably the wrong word, the uh, desperation. Desperation, yeah. Boy, he, you know, one of the things you learn in sales, and I'm not a salesman either, but one of the things you learn is that you don't act desperate. Once you act desperate, you're you're, <laughs> right. you're almost. It, it's weird. His 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 selling tactics really seem outdated. Um, right, but and of course he was supposed to be really, you know, really successful. He's the machine along. He was the machine. So something you know that whatever his little uh, his little tactic. Um, his strategy worked at one time. Yeah, but like you said, it just didn't age well. Do you get the? How long do you think it's? How long do you think he's been in a, a rut? Do you, do you get the sense it's months or years? He actually quantified. He says that. He says, like, oh, that's there's right. A, there's a line in the movie like where he says something like, "Oh, if you could have seen me six years ago," or, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I can't remember what he says though. Um, I mean, we could look it up. We could look it up. But, it up it's, later. but yeah, so yeah. He, they do sort of provide that information. Okay, that's interesting. They definitely provide that. Okay, um, I, I, so, Aaronow is a bad salesman. We, 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 we learned that. Like, if we know anything, we know Aaronow is bad. Um, right. We know Levine is bad, but was good at one point. 
Um, Moss. Moss doesn't seem like he would be very good. Like, I feel like this is Mitch and Murray's way of getting rid of these guys, honestly. Like, yes, the, the, the tactic of, or the, the, the uh, contest of making it, you know, first gets this, second place gets this, and third place is you're fired. I think that's harsh, and I don't think that's, that works in a real, that's not gonna really motivate people, but I think that they're trying to get rid of some of the dead weight. I mean, that's how sales is. You're, you're, either, mm -hmm. you're either selling or, you're, or you're, we'll find someone else. When we were talking about Baldwin, I think um, a couple things to say about that uh, contest scene is that A, that was not in the original stage play. That was added for the movie specifically. Um, what they did was in the stage play is that they sort of made allusions to the meeting and they talked about the meeting and they talked about the contest in that context of conversation, but they added the scene specifically for the movie and don't really know why. I think just to give it maybe a little bit more because I think it actually, you know, it's a pretty short play. But um, so they add that scene and I think most people would agree that Baldwin sort of steals it steals the movie based on that one scene. But I have some nominees for best one scene performance in a film. Are you ready? Here are your nominees for the best one scene performances in a film. Al Baldwin, Glengarry Glenn Ross, Gene Jones in No Country for Old Men, Donnie Wahlberg in Sixth Sense, High School Friend from Fargo. Those are your nominees. Okay. So No Country, Glengarry, and Fargo. I would say Glenn Gary. Yeah. You're leaving out some, some big ones. I added Donnie Wahlberg from Sixth Sense. Who am I leaving so out? So we're talking of all time? Well, Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. Oh, he's in more than one scene, though. He's disqualified. Is he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, tell me, remind me again. He's not at... I'm just thinking of him in the, in the, uh, in the little hut. Um, doesn't he kill, he kills uh, Dennis Hopper. Oh, dang No, he doesn't, he doesn't talk in that scene, though. Doesn't it cut to him a couple times? Let's throw him out. Yeah, I think he's disqualified. See, Jack, see, you can't count Jack in A Few Good Men because he's technically in three scenes. Mm. I mean, he, he might, he might win it for the best one scene performance of all time, just one scene, just the, uh, the ending of A Few Good Men. Mm-hmm. You have to ask me nicely. <laughs> you can have all the transporters you want. Is Harvey Keitel in more than one scene in Pulp Fiction? He is, isn't he? Yeah, that's a good one though. Christopher Walken. Alfred Molina in Boogie Nights. Holy cow, I knew there was one from Boogie Nights. I couldn't think of it. Those, those are the big ones that I can at least say that I've seen. Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction. Charlie Sheen in Ferris Bueller. Uh, Alfred Molina in Boogie Nights, Alec Baldwin in Glen Gary, Glen Ross, Steve, whatever his name is, from Fargo. That's five. Those are the five that I think would, I, that would be my top five. Let's just say that. And it's weird, like, I would almost put Molina as my one, and then probably put Baldwin as my two, Sheen as three, and you know, interchangeable on four and five. I, I would say yeah. that if we're going strictly on the stealing the show, I would say yeah. Alec if Baldwin that's the metric. Okay, okay, yeah. Then, 
then if we're talking about just like um like Arsenio Hall fist pump in the air when they come on screen I would say the Mark Hamill scene in Force Awakens yeah yeah that's good and then and then I would say not knowing it at the time but then when you revisit it fist pump in the air Charlie Sheen and Ferris Bueller number one and then um Oh, the Alfred Molina scene in Boogie Nights. And, and Mikey and Aguita is a great scene just on its own, but it kind of, it doesn't steal he's the not, movie. He's not stealing also, the movie, uh-uh. Right, and I'm not like fist pumping when I see when I see that scene. I'm not jumping up and down in my chair, but I, I'm just, I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of laughing, feeling really sorry for the guy simultaneously. That's a good list. I mean, I would defy anyone else to come up with a better one. My last little um, question here is, out of all the Ricky Roma pieces of advice, which is the best? And it really comes down to either one of these two. I subscribe to the law of contrary public opinion. If everyone thinks one way, then I say bet the other way. The other is, you never open your mouth until you know what the shot is. I live my life almost by number one. I subscribe to the law of contrary public opinion. If you look at even in today's world, that uh, popular groupthink is, and it gets so political and everything else these days. But yeah. I mean, the, I guess what I would say is. It doesn't that, have to be political. Con, you know, public opinion doesn't have to always be political, but I know what you're saying. Right. And also, there's a lot of groupthink. And so I, I tend to kind of look at it through the other lens a little bit. And then I might, I might go back and say, okay, yeah, this. This this works for me. This is uh, this is a, uh, this is appropriate. But then, but I, I do find myself, you know, kind of thinking, well, if everybody's, I, I you know, it's such a hard thing to talk about without getting very opinionated. But I would just say that I, I love that speaks to me. That that whole kind of contrarian. Uh, the kind of the contrarian outlook. Never opening your mouth until you know what the shot is is pretty solid too. Oh, for sure. Something that burns. Yeah, and when burns does he me. say that? Was that was that that was after the um, Williamson? That was when club, right? that was when Williamson screwed up the uh, Jonathan Price sale. Yeah. Yeah. Come, I mean, it's that's such oh, a I so great. Oh, it's great because then the tables turn on Levine because Williamson's like. Oh, How did you know? Yeah, that and that's when. Well, right after that is when Levine just starts tearing into Williamson, tearing into him. Yeah, and that's when that and then that's yeah, that's when Levine screws up and says a little oh, bit. Too, he actually opened his mouth and didn't know what the shot was. <laughs> but no, that's uh, yeah, and then and then that's when Williamson turns the tables. So that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, Nick, thank you as always for doing this. Have a good rest of your day and class dismissed.